Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Richard Harris. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Truth and Liberty Live Call-In Show. I'm Richard Harris, and we have got a tremendous program lined up for you today. I'm really excited about it. Uh, uh, you know, one of the biggest uh, issues in America today uh, for all Christians everywhere, we can't run from it, we can't hide from it, we need to face it head on and continue to fight is the issue of life. And uh, the other day someone uh, came up to me and they were like, Richard, why do you keep talking about abortion on your show? And I was like, because Roe versus Wade was just the beginning. Uh, the, the overturn of Roe was just the beginning. And there are still thousands and thousands of innocent babies being murdered in the womb in my country. And I can't tolerate that. And we need to get out and fight. So, folks, I'm, I'm super excited to introduce to you, first off, my co-host today, which is Elizabeth Murin. And uh, Elizabeth is, has a big, long title. She's the Executive Director of Communications. And I'm going to say everything creative <laughs> at Andrew Womack Ministries. Um, she writes the and produces all these amazing dramas that we see here of everything from God with us to the latest one of Overturned. And um, so, Elizabeth, it's awesome to have you on the show today. So nice to be here. <laughs> so, um, and our guest today is uh, Jameson Taylor. And Jameson, uh, I think he's uh, currently from Mississippi, and he is actually one of the key players in the whole story of how the infamous case of Roe versus Wade was overturned. And so, ran into Jameson at the Family Research Council conference in Washington about three months ago, and it was shortly after I had seen the premiere stage performance of Overturned, which is the drama that you wrote, mm -hmm. telling the story of how that came to pass. And I was like, well, this is a divine appointment. Uh, I want to get Jameson on our show. So Jameson, thank you for coming on Truth and Liberty. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, it's great to have you. And and you're um, you're actually uh, I want to give you a proper introduction. You actually hold a Ph.D. in political theory and a couple other degrees and like m these major awards you've gotten and stuff. So you are an expert in in uh, political matters. Um, and if I understand it right, you've kind of devoted your life to advocating for uh, pro family, pro life, pro children policies in government. That's right. Yeah, I'm uh, dedicated to just helping families uh, form and succeed, helping kids in particular, helping parents make good choices for their kids, and just really so you, you know people can live out the American dream. Yeah. Wow. And I say uh, the American dream. You know, that's a great. I don't want to just let that hang there. The American <laughs> dream. What is the American? A lot of people when they think the American dream, they're talking about oh, making money and right. succeeding. Um, it sounds to me like you have a different definition of that. What do you mean when you say American dream? Well, I, you know, God has called each of us into community and family is the primary and most important community that any of us can be a part of. It's where we really hopefully encounter unconditional love. But you have now a majority of Americans are not getting married. They're not having children. 
and for some some people and in some communities, they know, for instance, that marriage exists. They know that strong families exist somewhere, but it's kind of like Wizard of Oz. Like, you know, where is this place? Mm. I've heard of it, but I don't actually know anyone who is married. I don't know any kids who are in strong, healthy families. And so this is really a crisis that has been building here in the United States. Uh, and I think, especially as I look now at our economy, I look at our culture, so many things are undermining the family. In particular, we're seeing the Biden administration really pursue policies aimed at separating parents and kids. You see this in public schools, for instance, where a teacher or maybe a guidance counselor will say, hey, we're going to have a conversation today, but we don't want you to tell your parents. Okay. You know, that's driving a wedge between parents and kids. Moreover, though, there are just a lot of young men out there. And I, you know, I was one of these young men at one point in my life. They, don't, they have no clue how to be a father. They have no clue how to support a family. How do you relate to kids? These, these skills have to be learned. The fortunate thing is that they, they are learnable. I, I'm someone who's still learning them. Uh, and, and trying to be a better dad every day. But when I talk about the American dream, yeah, it's just it's not just about money. And we all know that. We all know that money alone is not going to make you happy. But people seek a comfortable life that they can spend time with their kids, that they can pass on wealth to their, their kids. Increasingly, though, these things are becoming very hard to achieve in America. Wow. Yeah. Well, Jameson, um, uh, you know, America... If people think of it as the land of opportunity, right? Prosperous business and that thing. But what they don't realize is that the Christian heritage of the nation built the foundation for prosperity. And one of those key ingredients is good, stable families. Um, yeah. and, and as the family has been undermined mm -hmm. in our nation over the last few decades, uh, you know, maybe 60 years, we see increasing, uh, you know, lower performance in education, more crime, yeah. more, uh, you know, uh, other problems that go along with that. So I, I'm really glad to hear you say that. I haven't heard that really like that. And that's really, really awesome. So thank you for doing that. Um, I also want to mention before we go any further, you're currently the director uh, well, you, you work for American Family Association. Uh, we've got some good friends over there. What's your title there at AFA? So I'm Director of Policy and Legislative Affairs. Basically, what I do is I run AFA's Government Affairs Shop. We have a, a lot of radio content, and uh, listeners kind of they hear about different problems, but they wanted to know, well, what can I actually do about this? And so AFA started a division called AFA Action, which equips people to do something about the problems that they're hearing about in their state government and in, in the federal government. So really what I do is just equip good people around the country, lawmakers, community activists, equip them to do good things in their communities. So um, I want to remind our viewers, this is a live call-in show. And so if you have questions today for Jameson or for Elizabeth uh, or for me, uh, please be sure to call in. The number's on the upper right-hand part of your screen, 719-619-2341. And uh, we'd love to hear from you today. I'd love to have you call in and join our conversation. And your question can be about the things that uh, Jameson is sharing, Elizabeth sharing, or any kind of Bible question or anything like that where you please feel free 
free to call in. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is if you need prayer today, please call in to Andrew Womack Ministries prayer line. Uh, we have a room full of trained prayer ministers standing by who would love to hear from you and agree with you in prayer. And that number is on your screen too at the, at the bottom. It's 719-635-1111. Well, so um, Jameson, uh, your story uh, was so inspiring to Elizabeth that she wrote a, a drama about it and it's called Overturned. And your role in the events that led up to the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Uh, I'd like to ask if you can just kind of share or maybe I can introduce You can it. introduce yeah, it, that's fine too. I, I, I just want to say that it's so nice to hear, uh, hear you talk and see your heart and hear your heart. Uh, if there is one thing I am truly passionate about is um, helping people understand that uh, it's not enough to have good ideas of uh, the desire to do good things. Um, I think that it's so important that we realize that the reason why evil is growing is because too many good men are doing nothing or good women are doing nothing. And one of the things that truly impacted me was to see, um, to see how you, Jameson, um, how you speak. I think it was uh, looking into uh, writing the overturn. Overturn is a, is a musical, a pro-life musical. I started to read all these books and I started to trying to find what is my 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 pathway because it's artistic and I have artist, artistic freedom to tell a story where people represent uh, causes and ideologies more than just having them exact uh, be the, the exact person. But your your personality and who you are inspired me, uh, and it's one of the things you said after overturned happened. Um, you mentioned that um, it's not that like. Uh, the people that uh, were working on the case um, knew that uh, uh, Roe versus Wade could be overturned. But what we need to do constantly in every area of our life is what is the next step? What is the next important thing that I can do to make a change? Uh, and that inspired me, so I started to research and read and created a story uh, based on true uh, true things, but that just reflects uh, the heart of the situation. So, yeah, thank you for, for being you and for doing what you do. The other thing I also loved is to see that you are not only in the pro-life, but you are also working on finding what are the best solutions that we can help and support mothers and children. And this is crucial and important. Yeah, well, I'm just blown away by the artistry that you've brought to the production. I encourage everyone to see it. And I guess maybe, um, how, how do people, how can they see actually the musical now? I'm, I'm, I look, cause I wanna, I wanna be sharing this with more and more people. Yeah, I think that uh, it was live stream. We did a live stream of the show. It's not a, it's not like we we did a, a full film and DVD, but we live streamed what happened uh, during the conference, Truth and Liberty conferences, so that it can be found there. I'm sure that uh, you guys can put a link. Yeah. <clears throat> well, so I'll just. Uh say we did for a while have links to the Truth and Liberty Conference on our website at Truth and Liberty 
uh, .net. I can't say right here on the set whether I'm confident those are still there, but if you go to truthandliberty.net, um, you might be able to find them there. If not, go to the uh, Andrew Womack Ministries website, awmi.net, and you can search for overturned, yeah. uh, and I think it will probably come up. If you can't find it that way, look for Truth and Liberty Conference 2023, and you'll probably find it in the archive videos there. So. But what we can, we, what we want to do is to, we're writing now a script to make this a feature film that can be a cinematic oh, wow. release. And I think that I would love to have some conversations with you just to get your insight, to get uh, your heart, because I think that that is so important. How do we inspire people to do the next good thing that they can do in the different fights? Because sometimes the evil is so big that we think that there is nothing we can do. So yeah, but we have to keep going. Yeah, I, I think that's really, uh profound to, to focus on that. The way I, I think of it is, um, you know, we, we all have our candle that we need to light and work hard, really hard to stay lit. It's kind of like you're, we are in a hurricane right now. And so it might sound very trivial to say, oh, well, I'm, my job's just to keep this little candle lit. Uh, but if you're in the middle of a hurricane, that can become a very difficult yep. job. But that can be a very important thing for you to do because, in, you know, maybe a small child, for instance, who's trapped outside in the storm and they see that little candle and you lead that child to safety. And so it's really kind of what God is calling us to do, to embrace the littleness uh, that, that, we, the, that we have and that we are, but trust that God can take that littleness and do something really great with it. One thing that I've been blown away by with my role in overturning Roe v. Wade is what God did with me to do that. Um, I was I was literally acting president of a nonprofit organization at the time. We had no money. Uh, we were literally going paycheck to paycheck, and I had a choice to make: should I focus on fundraising or should I focus on just doing my job, which is to try to get good legislation passed? And I thought, you know. I think I'm going to do what I'm really good at, which is getting legislation passed. And it's kind of like I'm, I'm driving a race car and I know that I'm running out of gas, but I'm hoping maybe I can just wow. make it to the finish line with the, the little bit of gas that's left in my tank. Fortunately, I was able to do that and, and God blessed our efforts. But it's interesting to me that, you know, God uses the little people, he even used the little state of Mississippi, which is the poorest state in the country uh, to, to do this. And once God used me, then he used so many other people to come together to reverse Roe v. Wade. For instance, you know, at the time, President Trump was in office. He had only made one Supreme Court appointment. Uh, and so the balance of the court had not changed when we passed that law. But soon after, the balance of the court did change and it became a very pro-life court. And so you think about, well, look at how God used yeah. Donald Trump. Look at how God used Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, if you look into Mississippi, at the time that we passed the 15-week abortion ban that overturned Roe v. Wade, we had a Democrat attorney general. Now, he did a decent job defending the law. That was his job as attorney general. But he was not the most pro-life attorney general out there. Uh, you know, and he was really, he's going up against multi-million dollar lawyers from California and New York. He really needed to bring not only his A game, but his kind of A++ game. And he was not doing that. You know, not to fault him, but that's that's just where he was. Well, we had an election for attorney general, and we elected Lynn Fitch as the new attorney general. 
And uh, she worked with her staff. She had a really great staff to really take this case on. And at some point, her office made the decision not just to ask the Supreme Court to uphold the Mississippi law that would have banned abortion after 15 weeks, but to overturn Roe v. Wade entirely. That was not the initial trajectory that we were on, mm -hmm. you know, but God, mm -hmm. again, took that situation yeah. and said, hey, let's think bigger here. And, you know, that's what I encourage listeners to do. No matter where you are, just take what you have, you know, your loaves and your fishes, your fishes, your loaves and fishes, offer that up to God and see what he's going to do with it. But do it with humility and trust and kind of, again, you know, like you said, taking that one step forward, because a lot of times if, if all you have is that little candle and you're in the darkness, that's all you can take anyway. So but that, that takes a lot of faith, you know, at times to, to do that. It's faith and it's trust, I feel, yeah. because, you know, for, for you to do what was the next right thing and for you to choose where can I put what I have been given where it can multiply even more. But uh, I just think that that is so important that we trust God enough uh, to see what he can do with the two loaves. Well, and there's so many, so many people out there. I think this describes probably the vast majority of mm -hmm. people who look at what's happening in the world today and in our country and stuff, and they just, they're like, well, what can I do? I mm -hmm. don't know how to, I mean, this is beyond my ability to influence, but James, that's why I, I think your story is powerful, but also uh, I want to know, how did you get to be over the nonprofit that was involved in drafting the 15-week ban? This obviously isn't something that happened overnight. How did you get started in this area? You know, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of amazing to me. I have, so I have a PhD in political theory. I'm very theoretical as far as that goes. But my day job basically is to be a lobbyist. And in, in being a lobbyist, you know, you, there are a lot of negative connotations to being a lobbyist. Um, usually you're taking lawmakers out to nice dinners and doing things like that, uh, donating to campaigns. You're one of the guys. That is not me. I don't have a gold card. Uh, I'm not able to take lawmakers out to steak dinners, you know, instead, hey, maybe we could grab a sandwich. I'm not donating, donating to campaigns. I don't have some kind of super PAC. I'm not representing some large national organization. It's mostly just me. And when, you know, and when I was working on this bill, it was me. We had another staff member, Jason Anderson, who was at seminary part-time. So he's working part-time. And then we had another staff member, Sharon Ross, who's working part-time. She's just wonderful administrative assistant. And that was it. <laughs> you know? How did we end up there? We had, we had a, a wonderful gentleman, Forrest Thigpen, who had run the group I was with, the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. He ran that group for a long time, and he decided it was time for a break, and he stepped down. Um, but, you know, we were going through transition at the time, and it got, it got again, used that. You know, we all found ourselves in this kind of unexpected situation. Again, I didn't know if I'd have a job a couple months uh, later, but yeah, just decided, hey, I'm going to do, do what I'm good at. I'm going to trust God and go from there. Um, so it's always amazing to me, again, that, that God has called me to this work because he, God has really been the one to equip me. And it's been the Holy Spirit leading me, working with others. I'm very much a, a coalition builder. Uh, and so um, worked with a lot of other people on this issue. And frankly, you know, there, there's, there's the prayers of literally millions of pro-lifers praying for this day when Roe v. Wade would be reversed. 
I think that that's obviously what secured the victory. Mm. Yeah, because it was a long battle, yes. right? And Elizabeth's yeah. story kind of tells that, 50 mm -hmm. years in the struggle. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah, there were many, many people who didn't believe it would ever happen. To me, the, the unsung hero of all of this is Nellie Gray. So Nellie Gray was the person who started the March for Life. Yes. And year after year, people would show up to this march in D.C. in freezing cold. And that witness year after year, I think that, that she made possible, that is really what I think ultimately convinced the court that, hey, this is wrongly decided. You know, not directly, but it's just that constant witness. And the, the interesting thing is that the decision was announced on her birthday. And she had, oh. she had already passed on passed. by that point. Yeah. She's no longer alive. But the decision was announced on her birthday. What a, what a wonderful birthday gift and a testament to just how one ordinary person yeah. can change history. And I think in many ways, that's what Nellie Gray did. But I want to I kind of get your, your listeners to focus on this one thing. What did Nellie Gray do? What did I do? What are y'all doing now? We just showed up. I mean, yeah. people kind of think, oh, you must be so smart. Uh, you do all these things. No, actually, I'm just usually the only person, the only pro-lifer who might show up to a meeting. I might be the only conservative or the only pro-family policy person who shows up to a meeting and to witness to the good of the family in this kind of darkness, which is seeking to destroy our families. So really, if people want to know what's the recipe for success, a big part of it is just showing up. Get it in yes. your car, go to a committee meeting at your Capitol, um, get on the phone, talk to people you know. That's a lot of it. And at AFA, where I work, we can certainly equip people when they do show up, but we can't make people show up. You know, that's something that that people have to decide on their own and they have to cover it in prayer. But the first thing that we need to do to save America is show up. Hmm. Yeah. Well, m most Christians, I think they hear that about voting. But going past voting, what can the average believer do to start to get engaged and to, as you say, Jameson, show up? Yeah, well, the, the first thing is to vote wisely. We have at AFA, we have a project called iVoter Guide where you can learn about candidates through iVoter Guide and vote wisely, choose candidates that are truly conservative. It's what we call verified conservatives. The second thing though is uh, to learn about what your lawmakers are actually doing. And I would say choose one issue because yeah, you know, we can start to talk about the Federal Reserve. We can talk about inflation. We can talk about jobs. We can talk about all these million things. But if all you do is just flip from one issue to another, you will never get anything done. So I encourage people choose one issue. And let's say you want to choose the idea of, let's say, parental notification and consent. That's an area that I'm doing a lot of work in now because we're finding that parents are being locked out of their children's medical records at age 12. You know. You know, hospitals are just locking parents out. They don't want parents to know what's going on. Choose that one issue. And don't, don't connect it to the United Nations and the, the World Economic Forum and all these other things and what's going on in this state and that state and that state. No, choose that one issue and learn a little bit about, okay, what's going on in your local community? Is your local hospital, for instance, locking parents out of kids' medical records? Well, if so, contact your lawmaker, ask them to do a study on that, ask them to learn a little bit more about it, meet with your lawmaker, raise this issue to their awareness. 
And so it's really just taking that one very concrete thing that's you know an issue that that you might be passionate about. It may be a pro-life issue, it may be a pro-family issue, it may be something else. But take that one issue and just start to focus on that. Well, that's good advice. Yes, and you said before that you feel how the Holy Spirit leads you. Uh, and uh, and I think that that is super important. I think that uh, we are created in our mother's womb for a purpose. And uh, the Holy Spirit is there, there to guide us in every step of the way. So I would also say uh, what I say every day, give me eyes that see and ears that can hear. And, and once you open your eyes and you let him show you, okay, this is the next thing I'm gonna do and I'm gonna use my day and my time and my money, um, is, is amazing what God can do. And he uses the weak things of the world to confine the wise. That is my Bible verse. Uh, and with him, there are no limitations for what we can do. But I, I totally agree with you. We need to step up and we need to um, be and go where the people are, like the little mermaid. Yeah. The little mermaid? The yeah. <laughs> I want to be where the people are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I've never seen the little mermaid. Sorry. That's great. Oh, that's really funny. Well, so. So, um, Jameson, I want to uh, tee up a question. We probably may not have enough time for you to answer it before our first break. But in, in, the, in the drama Overturned, Elizabeth tells some of the story of a particular abortion clinic in Mississippi called the Pink House. And uh, I understand now that they're, um, they're out of business or almost out of business. And uh, probably because in part of the 15-week ban on abortion that was passed. Um, but what's the story from your perspective? of the pink house well you know mississippi started off like a lot of other states where we had multiple abortion clinics throughout the state after roe v wade um, but over time especially thanks to the the pro-life witness of people in mississippi like the the pro-life mississippi group which is a, a local group that focuses on providing resources to women because of pregnancy resource centers that we have in Mississippi, uh, more and more women started to choose life. And so we ended up in a situation where we only had one abortion clinic in Mississippi. So, you know, for the left, they say, oh, you only have one abortion clinic. You're like an abortion wasteland. And the, the pink house, so to speak, is refers to the, the, the painted color, the pink color of the abortion clinic in Jackson, Mississippi. And so that became a, a kind of emblem and really it became a, a fundraising tool by the national pro-abortion movement to say, hey, don't you want to keep abortion legal in Mississippi? Support the pink house. And so they would talk to donors in California and New York and other states like that and get them to donate money to, quote unquote, support the pink house. Now, I don't know, frankly, how much of that money actually went to the clinic here in Mississippi. I would mm. guess not all of it. Uh, so, but it became a you know just a kind of fundraising gimmick on behalf of pro-abortion groups, and they have a lot they have a lot of these gimmicks that they use not only not only to scam donors but to scam taxpayers. Uh, but it became an emblem of the the basically the the abortion fight here in Mississippi. And when I say fight, you know I I don't mean fight. <laughs> Actually, what I mean are are pro-lifers on the sidewalk witnessing to the dignity and the sanctity of life. And by pro-lifers, I mean grandmothers. Mm -hmm. I mean young ladies who are ballerinas. We have a wonderful uh, ballet company in Jackson, Mississippi called Ballet Magnificat. It's the nation's leading Christian ballet company. 
on any on any Saturday when the clinic was open, and thank goodness it is now closed, you'd find ballerinas in front of the clinic praying. Now, mm. if you you know if you find a praying ballerina harassing, <laughs> you have a problem. But of course, the pro-abortion movement did. You know, they'd say, "Well, these are pro-life terrorists." No, actually, they're just spraying ballerinas. Um, <laughs> wow, you know, that is. For, yeah. So, but that, thanks that to that, that inspired my the, imagination. Yes, I bet it does. <laughs> yeah, um, but thanks to the witness of all these people, the clinic shut down, and they have moved to New Mexico. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, you know, unfortunately for New Mexico, they're they're operating there, and they're they're becoming a kind of abortion destination in New Mexico. All right. Well, thank thank you for that. We're up against a break now. So uh, I want to go ahead and take that break. It's going to be about a minute and a half long. We're going to share some information with the viewers. We'll be right back after that with Jameson Taylor and my co-host, the wonderful Elizabeth Murin. And we're we're just getting started here, folks. Be sure to call in with your questions, 719-619-2341. And uh, we'll be right back after this. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Andrew has many conferences and seminars around the globe each year. For the latest information on Andrew's complete speaking schedule, visit our website at awmi.net slash events. You were created with a purpose. Written in the heart of God. Long before you were born, He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. All right, folks, we're back here on Truth and Liberty and just really enjoying this conversation that Elizabeth Murin and I are having uh, with Jameson Taylor. Jameson, uh, if you've been watching the show already today, you know that he is the principal author of the 15-week abortion ban in Mississippi that was the, uh, the basis for the lawsuit, which ultimately went to the United States Supreme Court and resulted in Dobbs versus Mississippi or Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Care and reversed Roe versus Wade. Uh, so an absolutely historic Uh, I don't know how many adjectives you can throw on there. Monumental, awesome decision that uh, we ought to be still to this day praising God for. So um, amazing. And uh, uh, we're we're here with Jameson to hear all about it. Um, Jameson, uh, we've got a caller on the line. I'm going to get to him as soon as I can. So thank you, caller. Just hold on a minute. I want to ask you a question about abortion in Mississippi. So now there's no abortion legal abortion in Mississippi, because there's no providers for it, right? There might be at hospitals, right? But there's none after 15 weeks. And my question is, are, are the women of Mississippi languishing and suffering under the burden of pregnancy without resources? Is it a, a horrible uh, human rights uh, a catastrophe in Mississippi? 
Well, in Mississippi, women enjoy enjoy the right to be a mother, and they can know that that right is fully protected. Right now, Mississippi uh, has we have completely made abortion illegal, except in cases of rape, where charges have already been um, brought up, and that's due to what's called a trigger law that Mississippi passed in 2007. That was sponsored by mm. a really good friend of mine, Senator Joey Fillingain. You know, who had the who had the foresight to think, well, hey, if Roe v. Wade is ever reversed, and really this is a great act of hope on his behalf and on the, the Mississippi legislature, they passed what's called a trigger law, which made abortion illegal essentially the day after the Dobbs decision was mm-hmm. decided. And there are several other states that have these types of trigger laws in place. So when the Supreme Court upheld the 15-week abortion ban that Mississippi had passed in 2018. They also then struck down Roe, and that triggered our law to basically make Mississippi a pro-life state. Now, women that are considering abortion in Mississippi have two options. One, they can turn to nonprofit organizations in our state to get help, for instance, pregnancy resource centers. And I've done a lot of work to generate resources for these pregnancy resource centers. For instance, in 2018, the same year that I worked on the legislation to ban abortion at 15 weeks, I worked on another piece of legislation that provides for a tax credit for private individuals and businesses when they donate to nonprofit organizations like pregnancy resource centers, like foster care organizations, like adoption agencies. These donors get a tax credit for donating to these groups. Now, why did I do that? I thought that if we look at these issues related to abortion, they're so complicated. I mean, most women, I think, don't really want to get an abortion, but they find themselves in a situation where they don't know what to do. And we have to acknowledge just that that that's a very complicated situation and problem for that woman to be in, that what she really needs is relationships. She Mm. needs friendships. And that's where the church and that's where Christian nonprofits can come in to provide these relationships. The the government right now, there's plenty of services. I mean, there's there's food stamps, there's Medicaid, there's WIC, which is which is just direct food that the government provides. There's so many different services that the government provides, but yet women find that that's not enough to encourage them to choose life. And I think that's because what these women are really seeking are relationships. And again, that's where churches and nonprofits can come in. So what I thought was we could use a tax credit, which is basically if you, you know, let's say if you own a small business and you make a $10,000 donation to a pregnancy resource center, you get $10,000 off of your state income taxes. Or if let's say you're you're just an individual and you make a $500 donation to a pregnancy resource center, you get $500 off of your state income taxes. My thought was to use a tax credit to lift up and to empower these nonprofits working in their communities, but to do so in a way to let them be free to be who they are without a lot of strings attached, just for them to keep doing their work, but to give them just a little bit extra resources to help them do that work better. Again, I worked on that legislation in 2018, and uh, it's turned out very well. Mississippi has a very strong program that is generating millions of dollars for pro-life and pro-family mm. groups in Mississippi, but also the idea has been adopted by some other states. 
uh, you know, and if, frankly, if there's any listeners listening now, I encourage you to call in. I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, how we're doing this. You can also email me at jamisontaylor at afa.net, and I will tell you how you can do this to get a tax credit for donating to one of your favorite charities. It's, it's an incredible thing. Uh, but, you know, so women have two choices in Mississippi if they're thinking about getting an abortion. One is to turn to private organizations like this who can help get them the resources that they need and that can walk alongside them as they carry their baby to term. The second choice that they can make, though, is chemical abortion. Now, unfortunately, we are seeing basically uh, lots of lots of groups are offering chemical abortion online with no accountability. There's no there's very little kind of safety guidance around this. What's happening is that nonprofit organizations in the Netherlands, for instance, are working with providers in India to send abortion pills to New York, which then are illegally packaged and illegally sent through the mail to come to Mississippi. And then women are given these pills. They don't know where they came from. And they're told to take them and just sit on the toilet, go in the bathroom. And what the, what the pro-abortion industry says is, don't look, just flush. Because wow. if you look, you're going to know that that's a baby. They really, what they're doing is they are abusing women. They are hurting women, and women all across America are ending up in emergency rooms. You know, made, they're lying to the doctors saying they had a spontaneous miscarriage. <clears throat> they're ending up in emergency rooms, and they are being hurt. And this is because the the pro-abortion providers are pushing this quote-unquote easy idea of chemical abortion. But also, it's because state lawmakers are not doing enough to push back against this. It is illegal for, for instance, groups in Mississippi to encourage women to get an abortion and to facilitate that in a direct way, because that is violating Mississippi law. It is also illegal for doctors in New York to stuff envelopes with abortion pills and mail those pills to pro-life states like Texas and Mississippi and Louisiana because that is violating a federal law called the Comstock Act. This is also violating the, the U.S. Constitution, which says you have something called the Full Faith and Credit Clause, which says that states basically are supposed to respect one another's laws. Well, what I'm seeing is that blue states are being very proactive in defending the right to abortion. What I want to see is some conservatives, Christians in particular, standing up to this tragedy, standing up to this abuse of women. Yeah. Wow. I just want to, I had a thought on that, that is that human, human remains are being flushed into our water supply. Yeah. Now that you uh, put it like that. That's uh, absolutely disgusting. Um, uh, Elizabeth, did you have anything? Yeah, no, I, I was just thinking of uh, what you were saying and how, how so many times, one of the reasons why I feel like um, we get paralyzed. Number one is the, the big need. Uh, we are, as Christians, um, so quick to speak and to judge and to tell people what they should do. But we are so lazy in, in, in being there. You know, God left the heavens uh, to become a man. You know, he was willing to be born in a manger, to wear diapers, to learn, to crawl and to walk because he knew that it, it was in the relationship that, you know, he could show his love. Uh, the gospel is not words. The gospel is not hitting people in the head with the Bible, but 
is living with them. And my father is an amazing missionary and he always taught me, Elizabeth, you will never give an advice that you cannot stand by. If you're going to tell a woman, you know, have this baby, you better be there in the middle of the night helping her change the diaper. And, and I think that, that that is so powerful. But I think that the church, it's time to wake up. It's time to not be put under a bucket, but mm -hmm. to go out and, and fight the good fight of faith that is not just talking, but living and, and doing everything we can where we are with the strength we have. And that's why I love the story of the... I'm going to say it right now, the five loaves and two fish. Uh, we're starting a pantry right now with five <laughs> loaves and two fish because I am, um, because is you come with what you have and you let him do the rest. Uh, so I think that that is crucial. The other thing I thought of, and I'm just talking because soon I'm going to leave, but I, I just wanted to say that one of the things I saw through Overturn, the musical, is just a stage musical, but my desire um, and one of maybe the hardest points in writing it is you know, um, I got a revelation and God showed me how he has his Garden of Eden. He has all those children, you know, our children that are not born willingly or unwillingly, you know, and many of us have lost without wanting, you know, our children are being taught by God. The, God is, is having his Garden of Eden with all these beautiful, beautiful children. But what we have left is the woman. And sometimes I feel like the fight is hard to fight because we're so afraid of hurting and we're so afraid. Um, but what I've seen through the musical and through the story is that, wow, redemption. Our God is a God of redemption. And to see this woman just realize that they are not only forgiven, but, you know, their children are taken good care of. So now it's time to, st uh, to, to receive the forgiveness and continue to live as one uh, that really experiences that unconditional love you spoke about. But then it's also, what can we do with this knowledge? And it's just to go out and do to others what we, what we need ourselves. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Well, we had, we had, uh, I had as my guest on last time on Truth and Liberty, Rich Bennett, who's the uh, president and executive director or something like that of the Life Network in Colorado Springs. They've got a network of three or four uh, uh, pregnant, pregnancy resource centers. And, you know, all of the different programs they have there to care for both woman, father, and baby yes. is really tremendous. It, it, things have grown so much in the pro-life movement. It's not just people, you know, picketing abortion centers. Uh, these places are providing real human care, support, and love. And the, the statistics of the, the results that they're getting is phenomenal. We just need everybody to know about it. And, um, yeah. and there's opportunities for volunteering is what I was trying to get to. Uh, you can go down to your local pregnancy resource center, whether you're in Mississippi or Oklahoma or Washington or wherever, and you can make a real practical difference in people's lives right there yes. uh, on the ground. Yep. Well, we have a caller on the line who's been hanging on here for a good long while, and I, I need to take this, I wanna take it. Uh, so let's go to John from the state of Texas, who's got a call, a question for us today. John, thank you for calling in. What's your question, sir? Hi, thank you, Mr. Harris, Dr. Taylor, and Ms. Marin. Uh, my question has to do with a constitutional issue, and I just want to try, if I could, quickly lay some groundwork so listeners can kind of understand, and then I'll ask a specific question uh, to see if um, Dr. Taylor and yourself uh, might have an answer for me relative to all of these evil things that have been happening to the, to the nation. 
Um, does that sound like it would be okay if I could just quickly lay the ground down from my understanding of how how speech is is managed relative and all? Yeah, yeah, John. Why don't why not, why don't you just do it real quickly and then ask your question? We, uh, Jameson's pretty quick at understanding the basis for it, so uh, go ahead with uh, explain just a little bit and then ask your question. In 2016, I didn't know that, that the way that speech worked was the majority party would get, for instance, in the U.S. House of Representatives, they'd be called the majority party. They get 125 of the committee's chairs. That's the way the system works. We could we could have 49 percent. They have 51 percent. They're the majority. They get all the committee chairs. And then what they also do, this is my understanding, is that they permit the committee chair to fully abridge the speech of the minority party. <clears throat> And so what that means is that in, in the last time that the Democrats recently had the White House, the House, and the Senate, they were able to write legislation. And if a Christian legislator wanted to impact that legislation, the committee chair would just say, you're not recognized. And then, therefore, uh, that Christian may represent actually 49 percent of the citizens in the United States who hold this position. And so, therefore, their speech is fully abridged. And so that's that's my problem is, is that Romans 13, 1 and 2 says that if you violate the civil authority that God has established, then you are really rebelling against God and that you're going to bring judgment upon yourself. And so okay. I look at that and I apply it and I, I just look at the, the jurists right now that are being rubber stamped through Congress, like the Supreme Court jurist yeah. that was nominated well, Ted Cruz so, and Senator Kennedy, they had no way to even keep that person from being right. out of committee. So, because so what's your, so John, thank you so much for that. That's a really interesting subject. What's your question, though? U.S. versus Bowen says that the Constitution permits legislative chambers, each house, to make up their own rules and procedures. Mm -hmm. Then it says. Those rules cannot ignore constitutional restraints or violate fundamental rights. And so I've been asking people in D.C., committees, and all of yeah. my personal, all of my individual representatives, right. by what authority do you, does yeah. the Congress permit okay. the committee chair to fully abridge? Yeah. Is, is the, at what point does it become unconstitutional? Uh, uh, Jameson, what do you think about that? Well, the yeah, I understand your question. I really appreciate it. It's a very profound point. And it's very important for people to understand. Uh, I think in the background, the, the thing that maybe people need to walk away with is this. Democrats who are rapidly pro-abortion and essentially Marxist, because that's, that's what we're seeing right now from the Biden administration. We are seeing basically Marxist policies that are aimed at destroying families, in particular, separating children from their parents that are targeted at 12-year-olds. Because there's a, there's a deep understanding behind this, knowing that when by the time children are 12, their mental formation, their psychological formation is pretty much done. And if you can get a child at age 12, then you have got the next generation, which means that you will control political power for years to come. But Democrats are very clear about what their goals are, and they know how to use power. So when you're talking, for instance, about the U.S. Congress and you have committee chairmen that are shutting down the speech of other members of the committee, what you're really getting into is 
Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker of the House, really knew how to use power, and she was going to get past what she wanted to pass. She was going to shove it down people's throats, and that's what Chuck Schumer in the Senate is doing as well. That's what Joe Biden is doing as well, because a lot of things that the Biden administration is doing, they know it's unconstitutional. They know that it is unlawful, but they are doing it anyway. Uh, they know also that most people don't know what the Constitution says. They haven't studied it as much as you have, uh, and they feel like they can get away with it. They know also that there are not enough statewide leaders, in particular governors around the country, that are going to stand up to them. If we had five good governors to stand up to the Biden administration, we could really make some good progress. I think probably now we have two or three. There are just not enough people that are standing up, that are showing up, and that are engaging in the fight. But I think, you know, more specifically with your question, what I might ask is, while we all have the right to free speech, it depends upon the forum and the context. And so, uh, you know, you might might be in a business meeting and your, your boss is speaking, you might interrupt your boss. And if you do that repeatedly, you'll probably get fired. Well, if you got fired over that, that wouldn't necessarily be like a free speech claim against your boss. Your boss would just say, look, he's not a good team player. Uh, and I think the courts would probably sign, side with the employer in that case. So, you know, in this case, you have specific rules that the House has set that basically the chairman run the committee, and that's very common. You're going to find those rules in every state virtually, at least every state that I know of. And to me, it's just a reflection of the Democrats know how to use power. They don't want to hear any opposing opinions. They're not going to entertain it. They don't have time for that. What they're going to do is focus on their policy initiatives and ram those through. That's what we saw again in Congress. That's what we saw, what we saw recently in Ohio, unfortunately, with the state passing a very pro-abortion ballot initiative. Right. Thank you so much for that, Jameson. That's a great, uh, a great answer. John, I would just add to you, add to your um, that when you're talking about the operations of Congress, it's an it's a separate branch from the courts. The United States Supreme Court is very hesitant to stick its fingers into that pie and mess with their rules. Now, once they pass a law, the court will rule on that. But as terms of procedure inside of the legislature, the Congress, they're going to be real hesitant to do that, even if it's unfair. So at what boundaries does it violate the constitutional rights of the representative? Uh, that's a really good question. I suspect uh, it would probably have to be an extreme case. Uh, but that's a great question. I thank you so much for calling in today. Well, Elizabeth, I know that you've got to leave us at the next break. So I wanted to just make sure you had an opportunity to ask Jameson anything else that might be on your heart today. Yes, well, I uh, what I keep thinking is, I, I just wonder what we can do better and how can we focus, uh, at least me, what can I do better uh, in the position I have uh, to make people wake up? Because um, I just feel like so many times uh, the, the other side, you know, when we, uh, the ones that are fighting for abortion, the ones that are fighting for other things, they put their money where their heart is. Um, mm -hmm. And they uh, they steal the media, and they understand. Wow, it's incredible that, that how much they believe in what they are fighting for because they put 
their money there and they put the talent there and they are so outspoken and I feel like so many times so much more united than we are. We are all these little kin kingdoms with so many good ideas and so very nice heart but we have such a hard time in getting the money where, where, where it's needed to be and getting our voices united to, to, to fight and to get the people of America to go out and vote and to go out and and be part of the school board and be part of the, you know, pro-life um, uh, place. So, so I, just, I just would ask you, what would you say? And I, I want to do what I can with what I have in my hands. Um, and that's why we want to write this, uh, this film, because I do believe that we need to speak up and we need to speak loud. We need to speak with quality and love. Um, yeah, but I would say, what would you say? Um, one challenge for me and, and for people, you know. Um, this is coming from someone who all she did was write a, an amazing drama telling the whole story <laughs> of Roe versus Wade from a Christian compassionate perspective. You know, you need to get busy and work a little harder. Jameson, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, just, just that. And it's really amazing what you've done. And I, I pray that it, it, more people see it because it's very, very cool and inspiring. Uh, let me, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to answer your question in two ways. First, just as an artist, uh, a good friend of mine who, who's in the Country Music Hall of Fame, he gave me some advice one time, and it basically boils down to this. Do your best show no matter how many people are in the audience. If there are five people in the audience, do your best show, because you never know whether one of those five people might be, for instance, uh, a movie director or whoever it may be, a producer, just do your very best no matter, you know, no matter who's there. And that kind of leads into my second point. I think that for us as Christians and pro-lifers, however you identify yourself, we have a problem. It's really kind of, it's, it's veering towards sin. It's called respect for men. By that, what I mean is Jesus talks a lot about uh, just not really you know, don't worry about what society is saying. Don't worry about what the Pharisees are saying. It's he's saying, don't be a respecter of men. Uh, and what that means is don't worry about other people's opinions. And I can tell you this, this plays out in probably a hundred different ways for people. You know, for myself, I was praying about this and I was thinking about it. Sometimes if I go out to eat at a fast food restaurant, like, I, want, I don't want people to know that I'm saying a blessing over my food. Or if I'm in a, in a, in a meeting and I don't know if the other person I'm sitting with is a Christian. You know, let's say you, you, know, you go out to dinner with a big Hollywood producer who wants to produce your, your film. And you're like, oh, should I, should I let them know? Just ha They already know I'm a Christian, but should I really let them know I'm a Christian? Should I start <laughs> this meeting with a prayer? You know, and mm -hmm. we have these conversations and sometimes you know, I talk about showing up. Sometimes I show up and say my blessing. And sometimes I just say it to myself because I'm being a respecter of men. I'm embarrassed by what someone I don't even know. They might look at me and see that I'm praying. Well, that's, that's absurd. You know, but too often I think that we Christians are concerned about this idea of, well, what will other people think about if I seem to be like too Christian? The left does not think this way. You know, as you pointed out, they do not care. They're going to show up and protest. They're going to they're going to do whatever it takes so that you hear their opinion 
so that they make their views heard. The left does not respect men in an, in that way. And I think it's, you know, Christians need to be a little bit more prudent. We need to be a, a little bit more like the serpent, you know, and, instead of the quiet dove, so to speak, as, as Jesus says. Mm-hmm. I think more than anything, I think it comes down to authenticity. Do we actually believe what we are saying? Are we willing to make a sacrifice? And a lot of the young people, they compare what Christians are doing. They compare what the radical left is doing. And then they make the conclusion that, hey, these folks on the left, these crazy people, they seem to actually believe it. And I don't understand wow. it entirely, but I'm going to go with that. You yeah. know, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of youthful zeal. But too often, you know, we're just not showing up and advocating for our views because we're embarrassed. And I, I totally understand it. I totally understand. But it's really something to pray through and to work through. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so, Jameson, we've got two minutes left in this segment. And um, uh, I want to start uh, sort of shift gears a little bit with you and talk about what what the left's tactics are. So we we I don't think on the right we really saw this coming quite with the the way it has, but reversing Roe versus Wade, we knew that it would not solve the issue, that we still had to go state by state, but we didn't anticipate the ferocity and and uh, just cleverness of the, the counterattack that has come as they're now trying to get abortion measures passed uh, through judges and amending state constitutions around America, pro-abortion radical measures like what's happened in Ohio. And so when we come back after the break, I want to talk about that and what we can do about it and so on. So just shifting gears to kind of the um, the uh, sort of the political uh, landscape now that we're facing and where we're going to go with that. And then for all our viewers, I just want to remind, remind you guys of some things. Uh, first off, I neglected at the beginning of the show to tell you about a couple of things we've got coming up here at the ministry. The Heart of Christmas uh, annual uh, event, it's become an amazing Broadway-level production again, uh, is December 8th through the 10th at Karis Bible College. You won't want to miss that. And the, the live nativity. How many years have we been doing the live nativity now? This Elizabeth? is our fourth. Fourth year where you can come and you see a Roman soldier on horseback and donkeys and cattle and, and Jesus and the Holy Family and everything. It's a wonderful experience of the Christmas market at the show. Just the holiday days here at Andrew Womack Ministries are really tremendous. So you guys check that out on our website at awmi.net. It's going to be awesome. And so we'll be right back in a minute and a half uh, with Jameson uh, 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 Taylor to discuss, um, you know, more about this critical issue of life in our culture today. Don't go away. We'll see you in just a few minutes, seconds. (laughs) At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, All you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. Are you in ministry and want to connect with other like-minded ministers? Andrew Womack founded the Association of Related Ministries International, or ARMY, to serve, equip, and empower you for success in your ministry through relationships, community, and resources. Just being a part of this, uh, being filled with the Word of God and with ARMY, fellowshipping, knowing that I have other ministers with me, it is awesome. We have met such precious people through ARMY. Uh, There's people I know I can call when I'm in a jam. 
ministers have a safe place to come. We can unify and unite for the kingdom. As an Army member, some of the benefits you'll enjoy are Bible teaching correspondence courses, regional advocates for personal support and ministry, regional events for networking, one-on-one -on -one ministry and encouragement, our monthly newsletter, and more. You don't have to do ministry alone. Join this growing network of dynamic and elite ministers from across the U.S. and around the world today. Show, And my guest today is Dr. Jameson Taylor. And we've had in the first hour of the program just an incredible conversation. Elizabeth Mirren has now, uh, she couldn't stay with us the whole time. She's gone on to uh, her next event. Uh, so I think they're, they're doing some filming. Uh, but I want to just continue with Jameson here in this fascinating conversation. Now, Jameson, um, uh, our, we have a good connection. You can hear me now, right? I can hear you. Yeah. All right. Honestly. Fantastic. So in Ohio this year, the pro-abortion lobby, and when I say that, people need to understand that we're talking about Planned Parenthood in coalition with the LGBT movement and radical Marxists is really what we're talking about here. Um, and they, they uh, introduced a measure uh, to amend the, the Ohio Constitution, not just a statute, but to amend the Ohio Constitution. And remember, Ohio was one of the, was where the heartbeat bill was first introduced by, uh, and championed by our good friend Janet Porter. Um, it, did, it wasn't the first to adopt it, but it did adopt it. And so they, this, uh, this measure that they introduced this year uh, allows abortion up through birth, all right, up to birth. So it's unlimited. Uh, there's some possibility for this, for the legislature maybe to pull that back a little bit, but that's debatable. But it's a radical uh, pro-death um, amendment to the Constitution, which means no state law can contravene it, okay? It's locked in. Um, and they did it with 58% vote. Uh, so a large turnout, a large um, majority approved it. And I believe, Jameson, not to go on too long here, but what they did is, that, you already said it earlier, first off, they, they also paired it up with a recreational marijuana bill, which is the first way they're getting in to allow marijuana in states. It'll then be, uh, well, medical is usually first, then uh, unlimited, but uh, a popular bill, and then they put this on the, on the ballot at the same time in order to, the people that are gonna vote to legalize marijuana are also likely to vote to legalize abortion. So very strategic. And then they choose an off year. Uh, 20, uh, you know, this is 2023. So there's no legislature elections. There's no Congress. There's no president on the ballot. That means turnout is generally going to be low. So the number that they need in order to win is going to be a lot easier to get because the average person doesn't turn out to vote. And so here we see it, and they pour millions of dollars. I don't know what the figures are in Ohio, but millions of dollars in, and they turn out their people, and they win. And they're doing this. This isn't the first place. I think there have been other states that are facing similar tactics. So it's a big issue. And, uh, Jameson, I want to I just one more thing. The political pundits and consultants now are telling Republican candidates, stay away from, from abortion, stay away from life, don't talk about it because it's a loser and you can't advocate for it. And it seems like 
as a result, uh, Republicans are losing Virginia and other places, and um, and the and and so we're not. It feels like we're 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 being pushed back on every front. So, can you comment on this situation, uh, and really, what what does the pro life movement need to do politically at this point? Yeah, I think one way I understand it is you might think of it if you're a Tolkien fan. That so that Tolkien is these two sets of books. One's called The Hobbit. One's called Lord of the Rings. And the, we're kind of like at the end of The Hobbit. Well, being at the end of The Hobbit is like there was this great adventure, and they fought a dragon, and they defeated the dragon, and, and all this. And so we defeated that dragon of Roe v. Wade. But after that, there's the adventure of Lord of the Rings, where there's just one battle after another, and there's this kind of desperate quest. To, to finally, uh, for the good guys to win. And most people know the story, I won't go into it, but I think it's important to realize where we are in terms of the pro-life trajectory. Right now, what we're seeing is uh, the pro-abortion movement is very energized. This is kind of their Roe v. Wade moment. After, after Roe was decided, pro-lifers went into action. They started praying, they started protesting in front of clinics, all of these things. They started, they started a very successful movement. Well, the left had kind of become complacent on abortion. And what we're seeing now is pushback from the left. So there's a lot of energy. And there's a lot of money that's going into making the pro-abortion case. So I think that's important to recognize. One, it's kind of a natural cycle that we're seeing. And I don't think it's a reflection on whether the pro-life movement is doing something wrong or right, whether or not pro-life messaging needs to be changed, or whatever it may be. I do think, though, that you are seeing Republican lawmakers in particular, or as you mentioned, they're walking away from making the pro-life argument. Some of them believe that it's already been won, and so there's nothing else left to say. Well, you know, so many of them ran on, well, we're just going to overturn Roe, but they didn't really mean it. They didn't actually vote for legislation in their state that maybe would have made incremental advances toward overturning Roe, which is what Mississippi did. It's what the Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn, led his chamber in doing, saying, let us not grow weary in doing good. And that's that's one reason that Mississippi was the place that led to the overturn of Roe. But you have a lot of pro-life lawmakers that have grown weary. They don't want to talk about pro-life anymore. They don't want to fight the fight anymore. And they think you know, to, to continue with the analogy, they think that we're at the end of the story. We're not at the end of the story. In fact, what is ahead for us are a lot of major, major battles, and that's what we're seeing happened in Ohio. I think the, the other thing that I've observed is that voters will respond if you fight the fight and if you show up with good pro-life messaging. Basically, if, if you talk about, for instance, why abortion should be limited, why abortion should be restricted, why abortion should be illegal, why it's bad for the state of Ohio to align its abortion policies with countries like China and North Korea, which is what Ohio has done. We just, you know, our lawmakers need to show up and they need to be unapologetically pro-life. What we're seeing instead are, are inconsistencies in the pro-life arguments. And that's why voters are kind of wondering, well, are you really being authentic about this? Are you really being truthful about this? For instance, the rape exceptions. You know, we just need to make the case that the, the baby is a victim here as well, and that the tragedy of rape does not excuse the second tragedy of abortion. 
And you know that some of that is telling the story of rape survivors who have decided to to carry their baby to term and the, and the beautiful uh, child that's been born and the positive impact that that child has made. Some of it is telling the stories of pregnancy resource centers, how they are helping women around the country to choose life. So I think you know a little bit pro-lifers they're taking a little bit of a break. They're tired. The lawmakers are taking a little bit of a break. But we need to get re-energized. We need to realize that there's a lot more work to do. And we need to get smarter as to how we are doing it. Now, another issue to think about is this. The left is overpowering the pro-life side, especially on ballot initiatives, with money. And pro-life pro -life initiative, at one after the other, you're seeing the left is outspending by two to one, three to one, maybe even larger margins than that once we're able to count all the money, and I don't think we ever will. But basically, the left has a bunch of billionaires, some of them don't even live in the United States, that are funding the pro-abortion movement. They are funding these ballot initiatives. And what are they doing? They are disenfranchising conservative pro-life voters because these voters, like in Ohio, have elected pro-life conservatives to their legislature. They have elected a pro-life governor. What the ballot initiative does is it completely nullifies the ability of these policymakers to pass pro-life legislation. So the ballot initiative is not something that empowers voters. It's the opposite. It disenfranchises voters. And in fact, it makes it, it hands off this power to a very small group of people, namely judges, Again, very, very small group of people, instead of millions of voters, judges, who are now going to decide abortion policy in these states like Ohio. So, you know, one thing to think about is, um, frankly, you know, when I, when I saw the, the, the decision in Ohio, I have family in Ohio, I've been very invested in that, uh, is prayer and fasting. I mean, this is, this is just a, a horrible thing that has occurred. Uh, and... The people of Ohio and, and the country should mourn for what has occurred. And I think God is calling us to do penance and calling us to become empowered by praying more and by fasting more. That's the first thing I would recommend. The second thing is we have to get back to, to thinking about messaging and working really hard on pro-life messaging. What about, uh, thank you for that, Jameson. What about um, churches uh, and Christians, how did they respond to this measure in Ohio? Was there a good uh, support uh, from pastors throughout the state on uh, to fight the amendment or as we see so many times, especially in off years, were they largely passive? Now, kudos to Ohio. The churches and the pro-life groups were very well organized. They really did their work. The Governor DeWine showed up and, and did public messaging and commercials opposing the ballot initiative. The Ohio legislature was very proactive. They tried to pass some reforms that, uh, that would have made it harder to amend the Ohio Constitution. Right. None of these plans worked, unfortunately. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's a time for blame. I think it's, it's a time to acknowledge that in many ways we still live in a very pro-abortion culture. And then, you know, that's why the work that Elizabeth is doing is so important. Mm -hmm. Telling pro-life stories, uh, connecting with people on that emotional level, we still need that. We need more of that than what we have now. I think we thought, you know, we win this one court case, abortion's going to go away. But that's, that's not the case. And that's because much of our modern culture 
depends upon abortion. Abortion is the backup for contraception. And co contraception is necessary to lead a promiscuous lifestyle. So if people are going to reject God's teaching regarding morality, regarding the, the goodness of human sexuality, the goodness of the family, if they're going to reject that, this is, this is the road that they are led down. And I think kind of what we're seeing right now is a sifting. You know, that, that's why you're seeing like Ohio, which is a pretty pro-life state. Well, now they're very radically pro-abortion. Again, their, their abortion policies now align with evil countries like North Korea and China. And I think God is kind of saying, I'm offering you, I'm offering you good and evil. There's no longer any, any middle ground. There's no longer just, are you going to be, uh, you're, you know, you're going to basically only support late trimester abortions, you know, or are you really going to be pro-life? I think God is offering us that choice. And, uh, you know, just as Thomas Jefferson was fearful over God's judgment because we had legalized slavery, I'm fearful over God's judgment because uh, it looks like states like Ohio and others are choosing the, the path of death. Well, so you, you uh, kind of touched on or hinted at it there in your, in your answer, but the, something that's uh, coming to my mind a lot lately as I think about this subject is the connection between uh, sexual immorality and life and abortion. And um, ultimately, I think that what enrages the, the left ultimately about, abor about the the pro-life laws is that it means you you cannot, there's consequences for your actions, right? There's consequences for your sexual promiscuity um, and puts that back in play. And what, uh, for the church, do what do we need to do to restore um, biblical ethics regarding sexuality and marriage to our culture? I know that could probably, you could probably do an hour long speech on that one, brother, but just generally, where are we on that issue? Are, are churches and pastors teaching on this subject anymore? Do we need to get back to that? Uh, how do we reach this next generation with those, uh, with that message? Yeah, I, I do think churches and pastors could do more, but I think it's, it can be a little bit of a trap to put things on your church and your pastor. You know, you might say like, oh, my, my pastor needs to do more to get involved politically. Don't put that on your pastor. He's, he's busy. His main job is to run a church. You know, start by you individually getting more involved politically. Start by you calling up your local lawmaker. Most people don't even know who their state lawmaker is. And yet in our country, the states are supposed to be in the driver's seat. And it's, it's pretty easy, actually, to, to meet with your state lawmaker. So I encourage folks, learn who your state lawmaker is. Again, you can go to High Voter Guide and learn that. Uh, learn who your lawmaker is and connect with them. But in this case, I think what is most important is for parents to connect with their kids and to start to pass on these teachings to their kids. So a lot of parents, even Christian parents, you know, we send our kids to church, we send our kids to the youth group, we might send our kids to a private Christian school, and we think, well, they're gonna turn out okay, everything's okay, I'm doing everything right. No, you are not. You're not spending time with your kids. You're using, for instance, phones and tablets and things like that as a babysitter for your kids. You're not engaging with your kids. And so that's the most important thing is for parents to engage with their kids, learn about what their kids are thinking. And then in terms of teaching them about biblical morality, I think the most important thing for them to realize is that if they make a small sacrifice now, for instance, 
to not be sexually active, uh, to avoid dating until they're ready. And you know, especially if you're, frankly, if you're raising a 13, 14, 15 year old, your kids should not be dating. Because mm -hmm. what happens is the younger you start dating, there's lots of studies that show this, the younger you start dating, the more likely it is that you will engage in sexual activity by the time or rather before you have graduated high school. Uh, and so you need to set boundaries for your kids. But in particular, what you need to show your kids is this one thing, this little sacrifice that you're making. It's, it's not, it's nothing compared to the big gains that you're going to make. So you're thinking like, well, if I can get this little thing of sexual pleasure, that you know this is this is so important. Well, no. In fact, if you're chaste and you have a, a proper biblical mindset as far as sexuality goes, you are gaining so much more than you would be gaining by just this one thing. It's kind of like you know, kids want to take this. There's a ten dollar bill that's sitting on the table, and they want to grab that ten dollar bill. What parents need to convince their kids is that there's a thousand dollars waiting in a bank account for you once you get married. And this $10 bill, you take this now, it's going to cause nothing but problems, but not just to focus on the negative and the problems, to focus on the beauty of having a strong marriage, on the beauty of living out God's plan for human sexuality. That'd be the one thing I'd say that parents can relate to their kids, that the small sacrifice now is nothing compared to the, to the incredible reward and the happiness that will come from having a good, strong, healthy marriage. Yeah, boy, that's an excellent, um, excellent answer. And and um, so people that are watching today <clears throat> that want to know more, uh, that want to be better equipped, say, for example, to articulate the pro-life message or the or good arguments in defense of life and that sort of thing, what resource would you recommend to them? We've got a lot of pro-life allies here, but I'm curious what you would suggest, Jameson, and I, uh, on that. So any ideas? Yeah, connect with AFA.net. We have resources that tell you how to engage in pro-life apologetics. I filmed a video for them to train pro-lifers and how to get more involved politically. So all of these resources are available at AFA.net. Again, folks can email me at Jameson Taylor, J-A-M-E-S-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R at AFA.net, and I can direct you to the right resources. I think the other thing is, uh, if you can, if you have a heart for it, get involved in your local pregnancy resource center and just be on the ground helping women that are in need. But also, again, call up your lawmaker. Your pregnancy resource centers are not political. That is not their job. But call up your lawmaker and get involved with them. And again, that's something that AFA and AFA Action can help equip people to do. You know, um, one of the things I remember we're talking about, you know, advocating, it seems like when well, I've heard the statistics. If a if a woman uh, actually sees an ultrasound of her baby in the womb, that it reduces uh, the chances that she'll go through with an abortion by sometimes up to 85 percent. So, like 85 percent of women who see that, um, is that significant to you? And what can we do to capitalize on that fact? Is there are there laws or policies that we could get uh, adopted that could help in that regard? You know, I think in terms of laws and policies, uh, parental consent, informed consent are very important things to have in your state. Let's say if you live in a state that's that's pro-abortion, frankly, um, the courts are going to have to figure these things out in states like Ohio and Michigan that have suddenly 
that were relatively red, relatively pro-life, but now have become very radically pro-abortion. Uh, I think there's still a chance that the that judges will leave some of these protections in place, like parental consent, like informed consent. And you could require, for instance, that 3D and 4D ultrasound imaging be part of that informed consent. Uh, you know, judges may, leftist activist judges may strike that down, but what's wrong with showing a woman a picture of her ultrasound? If we talk about informed consent, I think that's important. Um, you know, but that just speaks to the testament of stories, because a picture, you know, we say it's kind of, uh, a picture is like a story. And so showing people those things, the beauty of the unborn child, that's what people need to realize more. And th mm. that's one reason that I think that Roe v. Wade was overturned, because you had enough judges and lawmakers that could see, and women, that could see that, wait a minute, this is not a blob of tissue. The Supreme Court and Roe v. Wade lied. They just flat out lied. This is not a blob of tissue. This is clearly a baby. I mean, this is this, this little creature as the form of a human person. That's one thing that Justice Anthony Kennedy mentioned in one of the decisions prior to the Dobbs decision, uh, that, you know, this is a person. So to constantly affirm that personhood of the unborn child, the left does not want to do that. They constantly deny the personhood of that child. Uh, they constantly also, I think, simplify the situation that women are going to be in after they have an abortion. You know, and, and Planned Parenthood is no longer there. Once a woman has an abortion, they already got your money. They're gone. Right. You know, but it's often the pro-lifers, the pregnancy resource centers, the churches that are there to help these women in their grieving, in their grieving and to provide relationships and support for them. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of Planned Parenthood and what we can do, it seems like one of the most obvious things is to stop sending taxpayer dollars to Planned Parenthood. Um, do you, uh, I, I'm assuming that's probably the law in Mississippi. Uh, why is it such a challenge to get that done? Well, Planned Parenthood receives hundreds of millions of dollars in federal funding. A lot of that is through Medicaid. And in particular, what we're seeing the Biden administration do is to use Medicaid to set up comprehensive health care services in public schools, and they're going to be providing these services without parental notification and consent. This is something that is happening right now due to legislation called the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Again, not a bill. This is already federal law. This is happening right now. And so when states are expanding Medicaid, when they're expanding government health care, people need to realize that that's often expanding abortion and contra contraceptive services that are being funded with government taxpayer dollars. You know, that's what we're doing a lot. And the Biden administration certainly is committed to using taxpayer dollars to fund abortion and contraception. Now, there's some things states can do if you live in a pro-life state. You can, for instance, pass legislation that prevents money from going to abortion providers uh, you can prevent your Medicaid funding from going directly to abortion providers. But I think the battle right now is not going to be directly over abortion. It's going to be over parental notification and consent, because that's what the Biden administration is trying to eliminate, even in state laws that have protections that if you're a minor who's using contraception, your parents are supposed to know. The Biden administration is saying, yeah, we're not going to follow that. And so it's setting up this this um, probably potentially legal battles. There's already one. There's already one court case out there on this issue. But um, 
parents need to really be aware of what is going on. They need to be aware that they are being perceived and portrayed as the enemy in the public school system. And this is not, we're not talking about teachers. What we're talking about is a, a kind of push from teacher unions who are very much in line with the Biden administration. We're talking about a push from certain mental health groups, guidance counselors, things like that, that believe that parents are the enemy, that kids should be able to make any, any healthcare choice that they want to. And no matter what age they are, eight years old and you want to undergo a sex change operation, yeah, that's fine. And your parents don't need to know about it. This is very much the left that has embedded itself in the mental health community. Uh, and parents need to be aware and they need to wake up. And that, again, a lot of it's just showing up. Spend more time with your kids. Learn about what they're thinking. Learn about what they're being exposed to. Because you might think, for instance, that they're going, this is a real case. One mom thought that her, her child was going to an after-school art class. That's how the teacher presented it. It was not an after-school art class. It was basically a class on how to become transgender and how to transition without your parents knowing. So I'd say parents just need to wake up and spend more time with their kids is the number one thing. And again, pray and fast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that uh, that case, unless there's another one, which there very well may be, but I think it was the case of Erin Lee uh, out of northern Colorado, so which is where we're located. And she was a previous guest on Truth and Liberty, and it is an incredible story about how um, the school system uh, deceived her and, uh, you know, uh, acted like it did everything right and so on. And, and still to this day, those, uh, that hasn't, nothing's been done to correct uh, that. Her daughter became almost suicidal. They convinced her that she was trans and um, uh, other things. So, yeah, we're, uh, Colorado is one of those radical abortion states, allows abortion up until birth and stuff. So we're fighting that here uh, as hard as we as hard as we can. I think parental rights is a do you think that's a political winner for us on the right? Jameson, is that something we we ought to be focusing on? And just in terms of political strategy, uh, is that going to win elections for us? I, I think it's going to win the future for us, whether it's I mean, I, mean, I think Parental rights polls very well, and that's why you're seeing, for instance, even in states like Colorado, parents are getting together, they're organizing, and they're taking over their local school boards. That's where it starts. It was, you know, it was an eye opener for this dad in Virginia to show up, and the school system had concealed that his daughter had been raped in the girl's bathroom by a, a quote unquote transgender guy. Uh, you know, parents are realizing that they're being shut out of the process. So, you know, this is not some kind of radical political movement. This is respecting the basic fundamental rights of parents to raise and educate their children and to also make health care decisions for their children. And why should parents have that right? Because they also have the responsibility because parents are the ones that really love these kids. Right. The, the school system doesn't love your kids. You know, even if they're doing a great job educating your kids, that's school systems cannot love your kids. The family is the place where children encounter love. And that's, you know, parents need to offer that love to their kids. Uh, it, it takes time. And, and, and a lot of us were, were pressed and we're busy. Uh, but, you know, take even if it's just 10 minutes, try to spend 10 minutes more a day with your kids to learn about what you're thinking. Parental rights. It, I don't know whether it's a political winner. I think it, it definitely is. But it is a necessity. Because if parents don't stand up 
to basically protect their kids from abusers and groomers, which is what is happening in many public schools. We're seeing abusers and groomers are embedding themselves in the system. If parents do not stand up, then their kids are going to just be encountering a lot of pain and wounds. They're going to just wonder what what happened to my kids, you know. Mm-hmm. So this is just necessary for America's future. Uh, we have to we have to basically teach the next generation the difference between right and wrong. And that's not you know some kind of rigid morality. This is connecting with kids where they're at and showing them the beauty of God's plan. You know, start starting there. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Jameson, we're almost out of time here with two and a half minutes left. I, I want to ask you if you can kind of uh, talk, talk to our viewers a little bit about AFA and uh, what kind of resources and programs does AFA have? And if people go to the website, what are they going to find? So AFA is a radio network. We have radio towers and stations, mostly throughout the South and the Midwest. But really what we're about is preaching the gospel into the culture, engaging the culture. Uh, And some folks may have heard of AFA, some not. We very much work behind the scenes uh, and just love to work with partners like yourself to just spread the gospel to others uh, and to equip people to protect their families uh, to protect their kids and to, to help raise their kids to be ha- healthy and happy. Uh, AFA is just all about families. And so in my work, I'm pursuing different initiatives to strengthen marriage, initiatives to strengthen adoption, to help kids in foster care, also things like welfare to work, uh, to help young men get a job because you know no young lady wants to marry a young man who doesn't have a job. So just all things family is what we do at AFA. Well, that's fantastic. I know our co-host uh, here on Truth and Liberty, Alex McFarland, is uh, one of the one of the many broadcasters on the AFA Family Network. I think is what it's called, uh, and uh, speaks really highly of the organization. And so, I want to encourage everybody to check out the AFA website again, and uh, also, if possible, or if you need to, connect with Jameson and follow his work. So, brother, thank you so much for coming on our program today. It's been enlightening. It's been uh, inspirational and we really do appreciate it. Uh, For all of our viewers out there, I want to encourage you guys again to remember about the Heart of Christmas performance on December 8th through the 10th, the Live Nativity December 15th through the 17th. And also if you're not a subscriber to Truth and Liberty, every week we're sending out information, uh, not just our show, but uh, you know, blog posts, resources, action alerts, and other things like that to help you stand for Christ in the public square. So just go to our website at truthandliberty.net and you can uh, click subscribe and share your email with us and uh, you'll begin receiving those. And also uh, the end of the year is coming up and we'd uh, be grateful for anyone who wants to consider Truth and Liberty for the year in giving. Jameson, thank you for coming on today. God bless you, brother. It's been great having you. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay. God bless all of you who are watching today. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.